0: Hello and welcome to Covered to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George.
1: And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we're discussing Fahrenheit 451. Fahrenheit 451 was written by Ray Bradbury and it was published in
0: 1953. And we will be discussing the recent HBO film, uh, which came out in 2018 and was directed by Raymond... Bra- Bro, <laughs> uh, I wrote it down, and then I couldn't read my own handwriting. <laughs> Barani, Barani, something like that. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Solid start.
1: Yeah. There's also like another film adaptation from the 60s, but we just didn't bother. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was going to give like a fake reason why we chose this one and not that one. I was going to be like, we wanted to talk about a more modern and contemporary adaptation of this novel that, you know, uh, we'll have to rethink the concept a little bit more. I mean, that is why. But also, (laughs) why would we watch a 1960s movie?
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, we're really excited to do this classic of literature. I have read it before, although I don't remember when I read it. Probably in school at some point.
0: I didn't read uh, Fahrenheit 451 in school. This is my first time. Mm -hmm. I did read Brave New World in school. Yeah. uh, But not
1: 1984.
0: Oh, yeah. Why are there so many, like terribly depressing dystopian novels. I feel like
1: they all came out around the same time. Yeah. Like in the 50s and 60s, you know?
0: And then kids in school still have to read them. them (laughs) And just be like, there's no hope ever in the future. Yeah. Yeah, so this book was written in 1953.
1: Yeah. It's like smack in that post-war, Cold War. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. What's that? Uh, generation the 50s you know yeah <laughs> what's uh, that term the 50s the baby boomers yeah Is that the baby i
0: boomers? guess so or yeah the greatest generation i don't one know one of those people one of them
1: <laughs> only one wrote this <laughs> book and it was very brad mary <laughs> we're gonna uh
0: make the same mistake as everyone and just lump sum everyone into a generation yeah uh yeah but it's crazy because reading this you know, its depiction of the future was really accurate in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I'm like, how much technology was there at this time for him to even base this off of? You know, like. Uh, yeah,
1: I mean, TVs were just starting to become a thing at this point.
0: Yeah. Uh, but like he talks about rooms, the entire walls are the TVs that are like interactive. And I mean, yeah. it's basically VR. Yeah. And um, uh, one character is constantly listening to in the book. Uh, stories and, like, radio and stuff, like, on what he calls sound thimbles. Yeah. Which are, like, AirPods, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Uh, so it's just really crazy reading this to think it was written in 1953 because...
1: It did get a lot of that right. And another detail, I think, was, like, the banks that are open 24 oh, hours yeah. that's like an ATM with the automated yeah. teller he's yeah. about like
0: the, going to the robot teller yeah yes yeah, so it's really kind of uncanny <laughs> and almost creepy like how right he got a lot of this yeah uh minus the mechanical robot dogs but oh my
1: god <laughs> <laughs> we can't forget
0: about the mechanical spider dogs yeah
1: it was he's called the mechanical hound and he works for the fire department
0: yeah, that was weird. It's
1: a, it's like a, it's like an updated version of the firehouse dog, I guess. But instead of a cute is Dalmatian, it, I was like
0: wondering that. I'm like, is this supposed to be a parallel I'm to a Dalmatian? That it's
1: supposed to like kind of poke fun at that, maybe. Maybe. But instead of a cute Dalmatian in like a red fire cap, it's just a dog that's a robot, but it also has eight legs, so it's also a spider and a stinger, so it's sort of like a wasp. So it's not like a dog, yeah. like at all.
0: Also, did. Firehouse dogs do anything? Do they have a job?
1: I don't think so. Were they
0: supposed to like smell out people in the fire or something?
1: (laughs) I don't think that we've done enough research on the history (laughs) of firefighters.
0: (laughs) Okay, I'll just cut this
1: in post. We're showing our ignorance. Uh, So kind of like the setup of this world is that the main character, Montag, is a fireman or firefighter, and his job, instead of stopping fires is to set fires
0: oh the irony
1: yeah uh
0: he's i really do love this imagery and this idea though yeah that their jobs have been repurposed to start fires and like and it's kind of cool because the book they really feel more like firemen oh where, yeah like they have like the brass nozzled fire hoses but instead of water they spray kerosene yeah uh and they have flamethrowers and stuff too but i really love that
1: Visual of the Kerosene, hose. Yeah. yeah. And the trucks that they mm-hmm. drive. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing. And uh, Montag, you know, works at a fire station He talks about the fire pole, like the whole bit.
0: Yeah. And even I think they talk about the fire poles are like futuristic. So like if you grab them, they'll like take you up, up
2: and down too, which I yeah. thought was really
0: neat. So yeah. a lot of cool future stuff in this story and depictions of stuff in the future that I I was digging a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, but so it's this dystopian future, uh, no year given, I don't think. No. Where uh, firemen, their jobs are now to track down people who have illegal books. Yeah. And to burn the books and burn their houses. Yeah. And then kind of arrest those people. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of a force of law now. Yeah. And
1: although they don't talk much about like what happens to you if you're arrested, like if you go to jail, are no. you like killed? It's you, real
0: vague. Yeah. Uh, the movie makes a lot more connections to them being kind of like immigrants and yeah. stuff.
1: Yeah. Even the term that they use in the movie, they call them eels, which to me, it sounded like illegals.
0: Mm, yeah. Like, OK. Yeah.
1: Maybe like illegal aliens or yeah. something like that.
0: Yeah, that was an interesting term that they kind of coined in that movie. And it made me just think of like, you know, the term like slippery, like
2: yeah. slippery
0: kind of and like them evading the law and stuff. Mhm. Uh yeah, and in the in the movie if they get arrested and caught, they get their fingerprints burned. Yeah. Um which the consequences of weren't clear so, in the movie.
1: Yeah, so apparently if you get caught with books or bookish things, because in the movie, it's not just limited to books. Yeah. It's also, like, computers, <laughs> and yeah. then, like, CDs, postcards, postcards, any kind of writing. Yeah, anything that's not internet, I guess. But um, if you are caught with that stuff, your fingerprints get burned, and then your identity is deleted from the internet.
0: Yeah, they call it the nine. The nine. Uh, Yeah, but it's not real clear what that means
1: yeah i'm I'm guessing it's just like you have to do everything on the internet now in this mm -hmm. dystopian like buy things find food (laughs) jobs
0: they can't get amazon prime anymore (laughs)
1: exactly yeah and like all that stuff so
0: and at one point like montag takes the subway and he like scans his thumbprint yeah so i'm like well
1: that makes sense they can't
0: take the subway anymore i guess (laughs) yeah pretty bad
1: (laughs) yeah and i'm sure like all the stores you they're either all online or you have to like probably scan your thumbprint for that too it's not explained
0: it wasn't until i read uh, a review though that he talks about their yeah cut out from the nine yeah as a whole which i'm like okay i guess that makes a little bit more sense but i don't think it wasn't
1: super clear unless
0: i missed something we take notes while we're watching so sometimes when our eyes are down we miss little visuals or keys like that so yeah um yeah, so those are like the consequences in the book if you're caught with illegal... In, movie. in the movie, I'm sorry. If you're caught with illegal materials, <laughs> god damn it. Um, I got a tally. You can't see. It's the number of times I fuck up the differences or which one's which. Uh, in the movie, those are the consequences. In the book, they're not really clear. Yeah. But our main character, Montag, it's a fireman. Mm-hmm. And he's living his life, burning books, loving every minute of it. Yeah. Uh, and this is kind of where the story picks up for this character, he's just doing his job Mm -hmm. and liking it.
1: Oh, I just thought of one of the consequences in the book.
0: Oh, go for it.
1: The mechanical hound stabs you. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. And either with like a lethal injection or it just like tranquilizes you or something yeah
0: that wasn't clear either it
1: like sometimes lethal injects people <laughs>
0: <laughs> what a horrifying plus it, just the fact okay i'm sorry but just the fact that this robot dog can smell yeah like who makes a it, robot like, tracks your pheromones <laughs> who makes a robot that can smell like something about that's just very unsettling well, that's probably to me. why they
1: make it a dog because it's like a hound like tracking yeah Even though it looks like an insect of death, (laughs) sorry to bring us back to the hound. hound,
0: I know we we're just outlining the book and movie and the episode, and we totally didn't talk about the hounds until now. And so I (laughs) think it's just our pent up desire to talk about
1: them. (laughs) The movie sensibly does not include. The mechanical hound no. spider monster. <laughs> it does
0: include drones a lot, yeah. which I think are kind of somewhat the replacement. Yeah. You know, just scanning the skies, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So that makes a little bit more sense, that update of it. Oh, yeah. Uh, So in the story, we have Montag. Yeah. And in he's the... He's
1: a happy-go-lucky. He's a
0: happy-go-lucky guy. And in the book, he's walking home one night and he runs into... His manic pixie dream girl. And she's Emphasis literally a girl. On the girl.
1: She, she's 16. They say she's almost 17. Almost like they're justifying it to you in the book while you're reading it. Uh, <laughs> they're like it's she's almost 17. It's
0: totally fine. And I'm like,
1: no, she's 16. You just said it.
0: Yeah, and so not to skip ahead, but like he becomes like really kind of taken with her. Yeah. And she is really also, emphasis on the manic. Yeah. I guess emphasis on manic, pixie, and dream girl, like all three. <laughs> all of it. And girl. And girl. Because she's just like, oh, people say I'm crazy, but I just like to walk and smell the roses. And did you ever notice there's a man on the moon, like the face? And he's like, wow. Oh, my God. All this stuff I've never noticed before. And she's before. like, if you
1: pick a flower, you can see if you're in love or not.
0: <laughs> and, and yeah, he's very... um infatuated with her in a way she's
1: whimsical
0: yeah and even though it's not clearly expressed that he's like in love with her yeah uh they just talk a lot about her porcelain skin and her huge eyes and just a lot about her, her delicate physical, beauty yeah her delicate beauty in a way that's just very
1: her innocence kind of childlikeness and montag know? is
0: 30 just to yeah they be clear. literally tell you that he's 30 yeah so. he's 30 he's not like The oldest you could be. Yeah.
1: But it's just her role in the story is solely to be like, look at the world, Montag. Like, Yeah. Look, do you ever just stop to look at the stars? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's that's her. That's what she does. That's all
0: she does. Mm -hmm. And she's only in it for like a
1: chapter, a few pages.
0: Not long. Yeah. he like walks
1: with her every night after work. Back to his house because she's his neighbor. Mm-hmm. And then he just doesn't see her for a while. And then later he finds out that she got ran over by a car.
0: Yeah, it just like no one told her. And it's
1: like off page. Another character tells him that it happened. And then she's like not brought up again, really.
0: Nope. She's just <laughs> dead. Yeah. And if you think, oh, I bet she'll come back in some significant and interesting way, you would be wrong. She does not. She come back. never comes back. <laughs> she actually did probably die. Yeah. Which she is, got ran over. <laughs> uh by one of those super fast young kids driving the roads.
1: Yeah, people just drive really fast now in this future.
0: Yeah. So uh yeah, Clarice dies later off screen, mm-hmm. off page. <laughs> off page. Uh and then there's um, a BD. yes, yes. Uh Beattie is the fire chief mm-hmm. and has a connection to Montag to an extent. Yeah. M- Somewhat in the book, a lot in the movie. Yeah. So I guess in the book they just have kind of a coworker relationship. Yeah. It seems like Beatty
1: is somewhat mentoring him. Maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And cares about him. Uh, but that's kind of as far as it goes.
1: Yeah. Uh, he seems he's definitely like a, a fanatic. hmm Like he really a zealot, if you will. He like really believes in the fireman cause and like yeah. the book burning. But um, he doesn't just mindlessly follow it. He, like, really, like, believes it. Yeah.
0: He's also incredibly smart. Yeah. And it seems like he's Mm -hmm. well-read. There's a lot of... Hints. Ambiguity, yeah, and hints towards Beatty that maybe he reads, maybe he doesn't, or how does he know as much as he does? Yeah. You know, at points it seems like he's quoting stuff, but not really.
1: And the book alludes to the fact that he probably was more of a reader in his past and then turned against it. Yeah. Um, there's actually, um, more included in the play version of this that Ray Bradbury wrote, (laughs) Yeah, where there's a scene, I guess, where Beatty takes Montag to his house and shows him a room full of books Mm -hmm. that he just has there. And he said, it's not a crime if you don't read them. I just let them sit. Yeah. So like, it's not a
0: crime to just have them (laughs) and let them sit. So I just let them sit there on my shelves. Yeah. Until so he, I can finally is, jerk off. So he is definitely crazy,
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what
0: is he doing with these
2: books? I don't know. <laughs> and you're
0: just sitting on the walls. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, the movie, though, creates this really interesting relationship. Yeah. Between Beatty and Montag. Essentially, uh, Beatty's much more of a mentor to Montag.
1: More of a father figure. And
0: the father figure. Because mm-hmm. we get hints and we are told somewhat that Montag's father was also a fireman
1: yeah and Uh, like killed in the line of duty or something yeah
0: all very vague we don't know a lot about it but essentially Beatty uh then kind of mentored Montag uh he was he brought him into the The training yeah the job like at a really early age and Mm -hmm. has kind of just been bringing him up the ladder and he's gonna have Montag replace him yeah he's getting a promotion
1: he kind of has montag in his head to be his successor basically Mm -hmm. yeah
0: so i did like their deepened relationship in the movie i did
1: too i thought that created an interesting push and pull between them yeah because you did get the feeling in the movie that uh really did care about montag and wanted him to succeed in this fireman job and to kind of help him through any doubts he was having Mm -hmm. Um, and that he was invested in his future. In the book, it just kind of seems like he's crazy, and he might care about Montag a bit, but also he just likes to rant. So Yeah.
0: (laughs) Uh, In the movie, Beatty is played by Michael Shannon. Yeah. And Montag is played by Michael B. Jordan. Yes. And these two guys are great in this movie. Yeah. They really just bring a lot to the performances, both of them. And Montag, Michael B. Jordan... Brings a lot to that role in my mind. Yeah. He's kind of got a lot of uh uh bravado mm-hmm. with his job.
1: I think Michael B. Jordan reminds us that Montag is 30. And yes, yes, 30 is an old age when you compare it to 16-year-old Clarice. <laughs> yeah. But also, the Montag of the book feels kind of like an old, middle-aged man already. He does, He's like yeah. going through a midlife crisis.
0: That's a good point, yeah. And
1: in the movie, we're reminded that 30 is young and still hot as fuck. And <laughs> 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 mm-hmm. I just can't picture the Montag of the book as hot, like... Oh, God, no. That's the last thing that comes to mind.
0: There's a lot of reasons why. I just
1: consider him with like a little bit of a stomach, you know? Yeah,
0: and like a receding hairline. yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, but Michael B. Jordan does bring that youthful energy to the role. Oh, yeah. And in the movie, these burnings are televised on the nine, and Michael B. Jordan kind of... uh, is kind of the ringmaster. Like a
1: superstar. Yeah. An internet sensation, kind mm-hmm. of. Yeah.
0: Kind of the face of this in a lot of ways. So he does add a lot of interesting depth to that character in that regard. He feels like more of a zealot yeah. like, believer than he does in the book. Yeah. In the book, he's just kind of like, doing my job, doing my job. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then in the book, there's another character um, who is Montag's wife. In the movie, Montag does not have a wife.
0: No, uh, her name is Millie. Yeah. And she's just kind of depressed and kind of crazy.
1: Yeah, there's a scene at the beginning where she overdoses on sleeping pills and Montag has to call um, the EMTs to come and they just pump her stomach. Um, But she doesn't even remember it the next day. And it's sort of like she just sits in the parlor and they have three different screens that are like the whole wall. And she just is absorbed in her like TV dramas and like the family. Yeah. She calls them. It's like she she gets to be a part of these TV movies, almost like
0: she's like part interactive. In. yeah, it's interactive.
1: Yeah. And she she talks about characters like she knows them basically. Mm-hmm. And she calls them her family.
0: Yeah, I I really did like this early depiction of Millie to an extent. Yeah. Where she's really kind of absorbed in this world, uh, is kind of numb to everything, clearly sad, deep down.
1: Like she did try to kill herself, and you don't know if it was on purpose or accident.
0: Yeah. But maybe
1: like she didn't even realize she was doing it, you know?
0: Yeah, and my biggest beef is that she doesn't really get a chance to grow at all in this story. No. Which was really disappointing because- There are moments later in the story where I think they're going to change her and she's going to evolve, hopefully with Montag. Mm -hmm. Uh, But she's just kind of stunted in her growth and never really goes anywhere. Well,
1: and it feels like she could have much more of an interesting development than Montag has because he just like he seems content in his world, but he doesn't really seem to care about it either? No. Like he's not interested in the TVs and like the family programs and stuff.
0: Yeah, and it it's very unclear where Montag was starting. Yeah. We know that he likes his job, but we find out later that he also has been stealing books
1: for a while. For a
0: while, like he has multiple. And and this is true in the movie too. Yeah. Uh, it's not specifically books, we'll get to that, but in the in the book He's stealing books and has like a collection of them. And so it's a little unclear what his motives were for this. Like maybe he also felt unhappy and this was his way of trying to connect a little bit. Um, But like we said, it's clear where Millie starts. Yeah. That she's just really absorbed in this, deeply Mm -hmm. sad. Uh, But Montag, we're not really sure where he was beginning from when he has this midlife crisis. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. And Montag is pretty clear immediately in the book that he and Millie are pretty estranged. Yeah. Um, It's not, it doesn't really tell us if they were ever in love Mm -hmm. or why they got married in the first place or even how long they've been together. Um, But at this point in their relationship, he doesn't really feel like he knows her or that he even cares about her at all. Um, And so they've just become strangers basically to each other.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that just also doesn't, their relationship doesn't evolve, just, you know, kind of disappointing in that way.
1: Yeah, I think she's just supposed to represent everything that's bad about this world.
0: Yeah, she just illustrates that.
1: Yeah, she's just like a vacant zombie, basically, Mm -hmm. that's only interested in the TV programming and what the stuff in her ear tells her, doesn't question anything, doesn't care about the rest of the world, doesn't even really care about Montag or even her friends, basically, is very selfish. Yeah. Um, I think I summed it up. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think we've uh, talked about it
0: enough. <laughs>
1: yeah, but they don't, they just, compl- like, they got rid of her character in the movie.
0: Which I think was fair. Yeah. Uh, so something I wanted to talk about a little bit was in this movie, and this is kind of why I wanted to watch the more updated version and talk about it over the old one, Yeah, is that we get an adjusted view of this Novel, like an adjusted adaptation, to feel more yeah, relevant like a sixty-five
1: year update. Yeah, it's sixty-five years old.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, one thing I liked a lot was that in the book, he has collected and stolen books and is hiding them. In the movie, though, it's just kind of an assortment of other illegal materials they call
1: it graffiti
0: yeah which i like that as a term yeah I like, they have a
1: lot of terms in yeah this, kind in of, the movie version uh,
0: like buzzwords yeah which i really like because the that's,
1: nine which is the internet mm-hmm. uh eels which are the illegal people yeah graffiti
0: i mean that's such a common thing it's like if you're trying to belittle a group of people yeah or talk down on them or whatever just like give them a, a catchy name yeah that you can always refer to them by and it's like it sticks yeah uh Yeah, so I I like that he has this collection of other materials, Mm -hmm. film, postcards, uh, a blockbuster VHS. Oh, yeah. Just, like, little random things that he's accumulated. Artifacts from the
1: past, basically.
0: Yeah, and for me, this is very important and a big update from the book. Because in the book, it's discussed, like, the history of uh, how society kind of fell. yeah. And part of that explanation was how people started gravitating towards simpler forms of media uh-huh. and away from books, which are complicated and like thought provoking and like more towards television. Less
1: accessible. Yeah, yeah, more towards
0: television and screens. And it really talks down on these other forms yeah. of media, like television and movies and stuff. Oh, yeah. And kind of talks about them in a lesser way. But I think today, by today's standards, film. And television are one of the best storytelling mediums we have. Oh, yeah. Uh, and they can do things that books can't. And I appreciate this adaptation uh, acknowledging that by being yeah. like, these are as important now as the books And they're Bradbury. not just burning
1: books. They're burning like all of these other items. Yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. It's
0: anything that they find that's kind of... The past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I just, uh, <laughs> sorry for the long explanation, but that's just what I liked about that was mm-hmm. that it's kind of acknowledging that.
1: And it makes more sense for now.
0: Sure. In fact, now in the movie, like there are almost no books at all. Like yeah. most of the graffiti they find and burn are computers or postcards, things like that. So mm-hmm. that's kind of also an interesting update that books are almost not even a thing anymore. They've
1: been burning the- too many of them. <laughs>
0: they have. They had to move on to other things. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to talk about was, like, the use of, like, emojis. Yeah. And, like, icons.
1: Yeah, I was not a, a big fan of that. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know. I it, kinda, I liked that. It felt... So, it was kind of interesting. You would see, like, live streams of stuff on The Nine, and they'd be broadcast on, like, skyscrapers.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. you would
1: just see them on the sides of skyscrapers. And then people would be, like, live reacting, so if you're doing, like, a Facebook video or a live Facebook video, Mm -hmm. you can see the, like, the likes coming in and the emojis. So for me, that was almost, like, too pulled straight from From, Facebook, you know? I'm like, yeah.
0: I I kind of agree um, where it felt a little bit too rooted in kind of the present. Mm -hmm. But, you know, things have been just pushing more and more towards, like, emojis and the use of symbols over words and, like, Mm -hmm. reactions. And another element of the movie is that they say, like, oh, you don't need books. All this literature is online for you to read. But they've replaced a lot of words with these symbols. Emojis. These emojis, basically. (laughs) uh, Which I kind of thought was interesting because, I I don't know, we've just seen that on the rise so much over the years. Yeah. And I'm just curious, like, when is that going to peak you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Is that going to become part of our language?
0: Yeah. I'm not even saying that's like a bad thing yeah, necessarily. It's just but like a
1: change. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So I, I thought that was, I thought that was interesting.
1: Um, uh, around this time in the book and the movie, um, they go, Beatty and Montag go to a very specific fire burning place. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's interesting in the movie, uh, Clarice's character is older. She's like, I'd say in her twenties and she is actually like a spy Mm -hmm. for, she's kind of an informant. She's an eel and BD kind of uses her to get information on other eels. And he has some kind of deal with her. Like if she gives him enough information, he'll put her fingerprints back on or something.
0: Yeah. Can you just like glue those back on? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Uh, yeah. So she's. She's got more character, a little more of a, you know, she comes from slums in a way, whatever this future version of slums are. Yeah. Uh, so you feel a little bit more for her. Mm-hmm. But she's been feeding them information, and so they go to this house that she says is like a drop point for graffiti. Yeah. And they get there, and they find an old woman reading uh, The gra- Grapes of Wrath. Grapes of wrath. And this is kind of, I think, the first time uh, Montag has seen like a physical book. In the movie. In the movie, because he kind of looks at it and, you know, uh, Beatty takes it away. But they discover just a room full of books.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's a similar scene in the book, too. They find an old woman who has a house just full of books.
0: Yeah. And <clears throat> I loved the scene in the movie because we already know that books are really rare. Yeah. And like, they almost don't exist anymore. And this room is just filled with them. And we get this great discussion, interaction between Beatty and Montag in this scene in the movie. Yeah. It plays out similarly in a different location in the book, but in the movie, it takes place in this room, which I loved as a visual. Uh, But basically, Beatty's explaining what happened to the world.
1: To bring it to this point. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, he talks about how over the years, um, entertainment has shifted and the ways that people get information has shifted. So from books to radio to movies to TV Mm -hmm. and how um, with each simplification, people just don't care and they want even simpler and concise and they just want like headlines. They just want sound bites. They want summaries. They want quick facts. They don't want to be challenged.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And there are points to his speech that I think are right, yeah. And I feel like the movie maybe tweaks the language a little bit to where I'm mostly on board with it, yeah. But he talks about like, um, how people who disagreed with another point of view wanted mm-hmm. to destroy that point of view, yeah, like destroy the books that they don't like, destroy this, destroy that, and then the other side did the same to them mm-hmm. to the point where. Just no content existed. Like anything that was controversial or disagreed on, yeah, uh, became kind of the subject, like or whatever the firemen would go after. Mm-hmm. But essentially, his point was that people took went this route themselves. Yeah, the government
1: didn't do it,
0: and only at the tail end was the government like, okay, yeah, we'll start, we'll change fire departments to uh, burn books, and we'll get on board with this.
1: Yeah, and the whole concept in this book and the movie is that people kind of brought about their own destruction by just being like lazy by just wanting like entertainment and not caring about like intellectual thought or um connections with others even really yeah and that um this whole society basically came about not because of like some kind of evil regime or you know totalitarian totalitarian government system or something Mm -hmm. but just um social evils in the world
0: people would rather be comfortable than challenged yeah uh which i I do agree with to an extent Mm -hmm. uh but should we talk about ray bradbury now yeah (laughs) (laughs) because yeah uh we have a lot of thoughts on ray bradbury and his views and opinions of this book and things that he said uh, specifically, I think a good point to pick up on is in the book during this speech. Uh, Beatty talks about the minorities and he talks about in a large society. Well, Adina's got it. So I'll just let her read a okay. little bit.
1: Um, let's see. Um, you must understand that our civilization civilization is so vast that we can't have our minorities upset and stirred. Ask yourself, what do we want in this country? Above all people want to be happy. Isn't that right? That's all we live for, for pleasure, for titillation. And you must admit our culture provides plenty of those. And then he says, colored people don't like little black Sambo. Burn it. White people don't feel good about Uncle Tom's cabin. Burn it. Someone's written a book on tobacco and the cancer of the lungs. The cigarette people are weeping. Burn the book. Um, so that section and then even like a page or two before, he talks about how minorities were offended by certain portrayals in a book and they just tore it out and then someone else would tear something else out and like you said until there was nothing left
0: yeah yeah uh it's like one of my big issues with that is like he compares white people not liking something versus black people not liking something yeah which i think historically the white people not liking something (laughs) has been given more significance
1: yeah and i he specifically says the minorities and he lists a bunch in the book like. He lists different religions, Buddhists, um,
0: political views, political
1: v- views, different um, different types of minorities. But he also says uh, dog lovers and cat lovers as if they are minorities. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like, and I made a note of this when I was first reading, when I was reading through and taking notes. Um, for just to use the word minority and to blame like social evils on a minority is a really kind of charged and uh slippery slope i think yeah um because we have so much of that in the world already you know people Mm -hmm. blaming minorities for the fall of civilization or like this world is going down the hill or you know this country isn't the same because of minorities um and ray bradbury talks about there being just in a big civilization there being so many minorities and they kind of overwhelming The regular people? The
0: white people. The white people. The white men.
1: (laughs) Yeah, the regulars.
0: The white men just can't get a word in. And to me,
1: this feels like a a power thing and a fear of power loss. And he
0: brings up this same exact point that's in the book, which is really ironic in the afterword. Yeah. It's like, I think we would have gotten this already, but he says, uh, every minority, be it Baptist, Unitarian, Irish, Italian, octogenarian, Zen, Buddhist, Zionist, Seventh-day Adventist, Uh, women's lib republican madison i don't know what that is four square gospel feels it feels it has the will the right the duty to douse the kerosene light the fuse so he's reiterating that minorities uh go after this content yeah anything that offends them
1: yeah and this is a point that many people will be familiar with now known as Uh, political correctness Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and people love to get angry about political, political correctness and feeling like they're being attacked for writing something that's offensive or something like that. And it just makes me upset to read this in this book because for someone like Ray Bradbury, who is a white male, um, to be like, Hey, I'm being oppressed by the minorities Makes me just want to laugh in his face, you know, know? like he in the whole like coda uh, afterward, which is included in most of the newer versions of Fahrenheit 451. He just kind of goes on a rant about how uh, a woman wrote to him and said that uh, the characters that he wrote in the Martian Chronicles, the the female characters were really kind of thin and there weren't really any of them in there and just kind of asked if he could add more in. And then a black man wrote to him and said, "Uh, the black characters that you included in your books are kind of like real caricatures. Like you should probably do them over. And then like a white Southern man wrote to him and was like, how dare you put black people in your story? You should like redo them. And he kind of, Instead of being like, oh, some people are criticizing the way that I'm writing and maybe I should think about the black and female characters that I'm including in my books and like how I'm writing them. Instead was like, my writing is being attacked. Censorship is affecting me and the minorities are ruining all art.
0: <laughs> yeah. And and so his one reaction was in response to he sent a play to a college yeah. to perform And they got back to him and were like, I don't think we can do this. You have no female characters. Yeah, and and he's like "And a huge
1: supporter of our organization is the women's. There's like a women's organization that kind of is behind a lot of our stuff. So I don't think they'd go for that.
0: Mm -hmm. And his response is about censorship. And then he kind of goes on a tirade about like, if you don't want to read my books, you don't have to. If you don't want to do this, blah, blah, blah. But that's literally what they were doing. They were just letting him know We can't do this. And I think, and this is, I think Ray Bradbury makes the mistake that a lot of people make. And that is when a lot of people openly speak out against your work or something you say or do, they interpret it as you are censoring me and trying to yeah, shut me Yeah, or taking
1: up, away my First Amendment or rights. Or taking
0: away my First Amendment right When and, they're
1: just criticizing it.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and they're trying to voice their own opinion and just explain why they think you're wrong. Yeah. And they think that they should have equal say and, like, be equally, I don't know, um, elevated, like, given a platform, yeah. even if a lot of people disagree. Mm-hmm. Which I think today is the same where people misinterpret that as censorship. Yeah. Where really it's just the majority of people disagreeing with you.
1: Yeah. And I think there's a lot of people who say, you know, it's my First Amendment right to say whatever I want. And it is. But that doesn't mean that you're not free of, like, consequences from what you say and what you do. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. there being consequences. Like, you write something, but someone's like, you know what? There aren't any women in it. We can't do it. Like, that's a consequence. And... Just because you were you wrote this doesn't mean that everyone is going to like it and put it on and do it and agree with everything you do.
0: Yeah. So Ray Bradbury just seems particularly sensitive about this kind of criticism of his work.
1: Yeah. I did want to read one more thing where uh, he said, for it is a mad world and it'll get madder if we allow the minorities to interfere with aesthetics. My art. Mm -hmm. my art (laughs) um i think i mean this was written in the 50s so we do have to give it some leeway Um, sure but this is a similar issue that we brought up in our uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest episode yeah where uh a white male population feels like it's being oppressed by women and african-american minorities um when during this time they were in positions um, without any power. Mm-hmm. So it just feels silly to me, and I have to roll my eyes whenever, you know, these very in-power groups start complaining about how they're being, uh, their power is being taken away by these minority groups. Like, they're literally called minorities for a reason.
0: <laughs> hmm Yeah, so just a lot to kind of, like, absorb with this novel and the messages and... Yeah, particularly in this part with because I had to think about it a lot reading his explanation for how the world came to be. And I'm like, well, clearly this dystopian future is a cautionary tale. Yeah. And if what Beatty's saying is how it came to be, clearly that's uh, Ray Bradbury explaining it that way. Mm-hmm. And then if that weren't enough in the afterward and the coda, he's like,
1: he lays minorities. it out for you. Yeah. yeah he, if he you just, haven't read this book in a while or you haven't read it at all, just read that afterward and coda. Just to hear someone ranting about the minorities,
0: (laughs) yeah, (laughs) ruining his art. I do agree that you shouldn't, um, you know, actually censor people and like take. And and he does bring up like his book at one point was people were editing out like curse words in it and stuff like that, and he was against that, and I'm against that too, of course. Um, but I think he's uh drawing comparisons that aren't really there or shouldn't be made in a lot of instances Mm -hmm. uh, and misconstruing what censorship actually means. Yeah. Yeah. So.
1: (laughs) What a time we had. We had
0: so many thoughts building up on Ray Bradbury that we just had to get out.
1: Yeah. Uh, It was really interesting to reread this book because I did not pick up on any of this on my first reading. Mm -hmm. Um, But to kind of view it in a a more modern context. And I was reading some other articles that – kind of had some problems with this aspect of the book as well. Um, this is sort of brought up in the movie, um, in that speech where Beatty takes, yeah. but it's not gone into in too much detail. I think really the the afterward and the coda in the book really like cemented it for us and made us like, well, we have to talk about it because is just ranting right now.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, God, what happens? Oh, so this is where... Uh, Montag steals a book yeah. from this collection. Mm-hmm. And in the movie, he takes it. And then this woman who is at the at the house, yeah. when they're lighting the books on fire, she basically... She just sets
1: herself on she fire. She sets herself
0: on fire, too. And it's yeah. this really horrific sight for Montag to see. Mm-hmm. And it really confuses him further in terms of why would someone kill themselves in such a horrific way? Over books. Over like, books. what's so
1: important about them?
0: Yeah. And so... Then we're led to uh, Montag going home with his secret book. Yeah. And in, in in the book Fahrenheit 451, it's similar. He has this book that he's stolen and he goes home. Mm-hmm. And we get this part of the story where he's just freaking out
2: yeah uh he's like I'm freaking out I'm freaking out
0: <laughs> and actually Beatty comes to visit him because he doesn't go to work and yeah. that's where we get this the speech in this part of the book mm-hmm. about how the world came to be and stuff like that and Beatty's like see you at work tomorrow <laughs> and kind of freaks uh Montag out even more yeah but in the book he then finally shows Millie his, his book wife collection all of his books his
1: secret stash
0: And she's like, you're interrupting my programs. Yeah,
1: he's like, I'm freaking out, Millie. Like, help me. And she's like, I don't care about you. And he's like, let's just read these books together. And she's like, ah.
0: (laughs) And this is the part where I thought maybe Millie would grow some.
1: something going on.
0: Yeah, but she's just confused and angered by the books and angered at Montag for bringing them.
1: Yeah, and and endangering them, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. There's a later scene, too, where he comes back to the house and she has some friends over And he just rants at them for like a half hour and then starts reading books to them.
0: Montag is so annoying because I'm not, he hasn't even like, is it clear if you read any of the books that he stole? Only a couple. Because like he's read like two books and now he's just like, wake up sheeple. Like I have to (laughs) spill the truth out onto you, you idiots. Like you ignorant fools. He's very
1: judgmental. And he like specifically calls out um, Millie's friends for like, being married a lot and then like having children that she they don't care about or not having any children and it's like they i guess these women are supposed to represent just like millie uh the society and all the problems that are going on with it but it just felt very judgmental and like he was going off and being crazy yeah for no reason
0: it was uh such an annoying scene and you're just like what the fuck are you doing montag and
1: plus he's like totally blowing his cover he's like pulling out all the books he has in yeah. front of all these people and you're like you're going to get fucking caught what is wrong with you <laughs> <laughs> and he does <laughs> he does
0: yes he eventually gets caught um in the movie though so this is something i really thought the movie did more effectively yeah is at this point montag goes to clarice with this book yeah and gives it to her and then they start hanging out and reading this book out loud. And this is when Montag starts flirting with the dangerous side. Yeah. Reading this book with Slash Clarice. flirting
1: with Clarice. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and we start to see him and he's still working. Yeah. And I think this is the one of the most significant changes that I liked is that this isn't like a switch that's flipped for Montag. No,
1: it takes some time.
0: Yeah. He is still working as a fireman, but going to... Uh, Clarice to read and we see this con- conflict building in him yeah. through these different scenes and different things that happen and ca- and encounters. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed that, that this tension and conflict in him was drawn out and it wasn't just some snap decision to quit his job.
1: Yeah. And he like was talking he he talks to Clarice and like she kind of draws him to the, the good side I guess, <laughs> you know, like yeah. shows him things and this is, I guess, sort of done in a similar way with the character of Faber, who's just like an old, retired professor. Yeah. Um, And they don't have professors anymore, so he is just living alone. He's just being old. He's just being old and in his house. And he has books. And Montag kind of knows him from, like, seeing him in the park, I guess. And Yeah.
0: <laughs> Their connection's weird. It's
1: weird. And then Faber kind of talks to him about books and stuff and... <sighs> They only meet one time, but then Montag's like, oh, he's so important in my life. Yeah. <laughs> like Clarice was.
0: <laughs> Essentially. Uh, and Faber gives him an earpiece to talk to him. And yeah. And Faber's around for scenes like in his ear. Like when... Uh, montag is yelling at the women yeah about books and faber's literally like, what are you doing what the fuck are you doing like i literally just met with you We're,
1: you're gonna blow our cover <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> yeah so that's something but yeah uh clarice in the movie kind of acts that role a little bit yeah as a mentor to this kind of more underground world
1: and it makes sense that he would kind of form this connection with her in the movie and they have like kind of a romantic thing going on uh since they just kept the character of Millie out of the movie so
0: yeah and that they didn't kill Clarice yeah like immediately yeah <laughs> yeah so I do like that drawn out conflict with Montag in the movie yeah I thought it was effective
1: um there's also some other uh cool parts in the movie where uh there's creepy slash evil Alexa
0: <laughs> oh my god yeah what I always forget what it's It's called. It's like Uxie. Uxie. Yeah. Yeah, but it's literally like an Amazon Echo with cameras in every direction.
1: In your house and it talks to you and spies on you, of course. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And also in the movie, Montag is kind of having flashbacks to his life as a child. And it's sort of implied that... Um, he has to put in these eye drops, and it's implied that everyone kind of puts in these eye drops and that they're they're a drug of some kind. yeah, and it might mess with your memory. And so he's starting to remember details about his dad and his childhood and sort of starts remembering that his dad maybe had been hiding books as well mm-hmm. and had possibly been arrested um when he was a child and maybe just doesn't remember anymore,
0: yeah. was it ever?
1: It wasn't ever explained.
0: Okay. I was, like, trying to figure out. I'm like, did Montag rat him out or something or what? Like, I kind of was waiting for some.
1: You mean Beatty? Beatty?
0: No, I meant Montag. Like, at a point, like, as a kid, did he call someone because his dad showed him a book or something? And then later we see Beatty in that flashback. Yeah. And.
1: That maybe Beatty ratted him out? Maybe.
0: It's just I was waiting for some kind of revelation. And the fact that Beatty was there wasn't that significant to me personally, but I guess Montag thought of it as a betrayal.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. Uh, speaking of Beatty, though, there's a- we also get interesting scenes in the movie of Beatty at home, and he has in, like, a safe uh, a pen and, like, these thin papers. I think yeah. they're, like, they rolling papers. They look like papers. cigarette papers. Yeah. yeah. And these great scenes, so Beatty covers his Uxie mm-hmm. and then...
1: His creepy Alexa. His
0: creepy Alexa. And then starts writing. And he kind of is writing these, like, little snippets of poetry.
1: Yeah. Or just thoughts. I never yeah. could really, like, finish reading what they were saying.
0: Oh, really? <laughs> yeah.
1: Also, the light was sh- kind of shining on the TV from our window, mm-hmm. so it's hard to mm-hmm. read, but...
0: Classic. Classic <laughs> home viewing problems. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: yeah. so just these little snippets, and he kind of rearranges them and reads them, and then he just burns them. Yeah. So, clearly... Beatty has his own internal struggles and his, I'm I'm guessing he's not allowed to have that shit because he keeps covering his Uxie. Yeah. But it's not uh, super clear what his end goal is. I think he's just kind of dabbling in this like.
1: Poetry? Montag. Yeah, Yeah, in
0: poetry. Kind of like how Montag is stealing stuff. Beatty's kind of writing this stuff and then burning it up. Yeah. Because I don't even think they're allowed to own pens, which he has, so. Yeah. But I, I thought that was a really interesting character moment to see Beatty.
1: Yeah, we get a lot more of Beatty in the movie, which is cool.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, what next?
1: Um, this kind of brings us to the climax, I guess, of the book and movie. Yeah. Where Beatty kind of discovers that Montag either has books or other graffiti material, if we're talking about the movie, and has been hiding.
0: Yeah. And essentially, yeah, his wife ratted him out.
1: Yeah, in the book.
0: Millie, yeah, in the book, Millie uh, ratted him out. And they show up. He's like with the police chief and all the crew. And then they show up at his house and he's like, oh, shit. Yeah. And they they're make- like,
1: we got to burn a house. And he's like, OK, let's go. And then they go to his house.
0: Bam! 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 Yep. <laughs> and he has to like burn his own house down, essentially. Yeah. But then, but then. He uses the flamethrower that they handed to him.
1: To burn his own house.
0: (laughs) To burn his own house. And then Beatty starts antagonizing him. Yeah. And pushes him down and is just kind of really pushing him until, big surprise, uh, Montag turns the flamethrower on Beatty. Burns him to a crisp. And just fries his ass. Yeah. And it's an interesting moment because uh, later reflecting on it, Montag is thinking, Oh, he totally wanted me to kill him.
1: Yeah, as I read that in the book, I was like, mm, did he though? Is this just you being like, yeah. he wanted me to kill him. That's why I shouldn't feel bad about killing him. <laughs> I mean, I kind of get it. He was antagonizing him while Montag had a flamethrower in his hands. Like, yeah, you know, maybe he was kind of suicidal. He, he's, he's just very crazy and unbalanced seeming in the book. Uh huh. Um, But yeah, I did think it was a little bit of a justification for Montag (laughs) to be like, he wanted me to. He totally totally wanted (laughs) to be
0: burned alive. That's how he wanted to go. It's pretty
1: dark. Uh, In the movie, he does not burn uh, Beatty, he ends up frying uh, some rando fireman Douglas.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Rando. Rando
1: Douglas.
0: (laughs) There is a moment, though. Where at the firehouse before they go on this call that Montag doesn't realize is his house, Beatty hands him a book and he's Mm -hmm. like, I want you to read from this. Yeah. And Montag is uncomfortable but starts reading and Beatty starts burning the book.
2: While he's reading it. While he's
0: reading it. And while he's reading it, he looks up and Beatty is mouthing the words of what he's reading. Yeah. So clearly Beatty has read this book and knows this and... Only adding to, in the movie, the ambiguity of where Beatty's, character. Beatty's allegiances lie and his right. own inner conflicts and turmoil. So I, I did enjoy that added level of that.
1: Yeah. So in both scenarios, whether you kill Beatty or Rando Fireman Douglas, <laughs> um, Montag is on the run now. And in, um, in the book, it's like this whole scene... An action-ish sequence where he's running, 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 running across the city. He goes to visit Faber, but then he's like, I can't stay. And then he has to, like, wipe down all the sweat and try to, like... Because le- the mechanical hound is on his trail. Yeah. And then he, like, goes to the river to, like, wash off his scent. And he's trying to, like, get to the railroad tracks that no one uses anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's this whole... It's this It's whole a
0: thing. whole expedition it's kind of crazy but he 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 gets away he escapes what Mm -hmm. it all builds up to i guess uh yeah and in the movie he burns the other guy another interesting part is after he burns that random guy like uh montag just looks crazy michael b jordan's character yeah and Beatty looks at him and he's like you did it yeah and i can't tell what he means yeah he, he seems, like, proud of him almost. Yeah. Or shocked.
1: Like you finally went over the edge. <laughs>
0: kind of. <laughs> Even though Beatty was pushing him to yeah. burn that man alive. He
1: literally was like, do it.
0: Yeah, just do it. Do it. Burn him. Do it. And the rando is like, uh, maybe not. Maybe don't burn oh, me. Oh,
1: Mr. Fire Chief. Uh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so another ambiguous moment with Beatty before mm-hmm. Montag gets away. And essentially in the movie, we we kind of jumped over this part, but uh, Montag went with Clarice and visited this group.
1: This, like, secret compound of rebels. Yeah, right, <laughs> b-
0: right before he's betrayed. And yeah. he's seen going with Clarice, which is how they catch him or know he's rotten. Yeah. He goes to this barn... Uh, house out in the middle of nowhere in a black zone or black hole, they call it. Yeah. Which is just kind of off the grid. And he meets this group of rebel people who are uh discussing how they all memorize books. Yeah. And that's how they're trying to preserve books.
1: By keeping them inside their head instead mm-hmm. of keeping them in physical form.
0: Yeah. And one woman's like, I'm Toni Morrison. <laughs> and another guy's like, I'm... uh. Ernest Hemingway, yeah, and just kind of discussing, you know, they spend a long time memorizing specific books just as a means to preserve them. Mm-hmm. And he meets this random kid who has has memorized, like a photographic
1: memory, yeah, and, and has it, like thousands of books memorized, yeah,
0: like thirteen hundred books or something memorized. Uh, and this is also the other plot element of this uh, resistance that we've we heard about earlier in the movie, but essentially it's been discovered how to uh, create, like, information in DNA. Yeah. And that they have recorded, like, millions of books and, like, just information and data and contained it in, like, a DNA strain. Yeah. And that they are going to spread it if they get it to Canada
1: <laughs> and they put it in a bird
0: <laughs> and they put it in a bird. He discovers. so
1: they just like basically downloaded all the books that they could find
0: mm-hmm. and all
1: the music and all the graffiti you could ever like lay your hands on and put it into an Internet and then put that Internet into a DNA and then put that DNA into a bird <laughs> <laughs>
0: into a bird.
1: And then put that bird into a cage. <laughs> <laughs> and they're
0: like, this is the
1: future. And they're like, let's send this bird to Canada. And then people will have, like, the the information will not be lost, I guess. Yeah. Uh, this plotline was a little confusing. But Montag's like, okay, I'll help you. Like, I'll help you get the bird to safety. Mm-hmm. But then he's betrayed. And so he kind of runs... Back, like, away. Clarice picks him up. They go back to the house. But, uh, Beatty somehow knows where they're going. Yeah. That was not explained either. That was
0: weird because somehow, like, obviously Montag runs away first and gets a head start, but somehow Beatty gets to the farm first. Mm -hmm. I hate when movies do this, and it happens a lot.
1: Yeah, I'm like, what? Why did they get there first? Like, what happened? How did he know where to go?
0: That was like in War for the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. When somehow all the other apes ended up ahead of Caesar, and I'm like, who are those apes? I'm like, they're the apes? Like, I'm so confused.
1: How did we get here?
0: (laughs) How did did we come full circle? Can I have a map and, like, an explanation and, like, pinpoints? Yeah.
1: And by the time Montag and Clarice get there, Beatty and the firemen are already at this homestead resistance bunker place, and they're already burning everything. Um, And so Montag kind of tries to go and save the boy and the bird uh, because the bird has all this important information in it. But the barn is already on fire. So he goes into the barn. The boy is dead. The bird is still alive somehow. (laughs) And even though the boy died of smoke inhalation, the bird Probably. has not died. <laughs> yeah,
0: this barn is on, like, it is 100% fire at this point. Yeah. And yet, no one in the scene is coughing no. or even responding to it. It's kind of annoying.
1: But Beatty, uh, Beatty kind of confronts Montag and Montag has like a tracker that he's putting into the bird, so that the people in Canada can find he's it. He's putting I guess. on on the bird. <laughs> it kind of in seems bird, like it he's putting it in the bird. It's a little
0: more aggressive <laughs> and a little more ambiguous. I was like, is he
1: putting that in the bird's butt?
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's,
1: it's the only way to make sure it stays.
0: <laughs> I actually, I think that, on the bird that wouldn't last very long if it was just up the bird's butt.
1: <laughs> um, and then. Uh, Beatty is like, don't do it.
0: You think I'm going to do it. Don't
1: let go of the bird. I'm going to do it. And Montag's like, okay, and then let's go of the bird. (laughs) And then the bird flies away.
0: And Beatty flamethrowers Montag and kills him, I guess.
1: And that's how it ends, the movie.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's how the movie ends.
1: The book ends where after Montag goes into the river and escapes the hound, he runs into some book hobos. Who are just a bunch of dudes that uh, sit around campfires and cook bacon all the time. Yeah. And they've also memorized books, so this is where that kind of comes into play in the yeah. movie with these characters that have uh, memorized them and are keeping them alive. Um, but while he's with them, they watch the city that Montag just came from literally be nuked.
0: Because <laughs> there is a war going there a on. was a war going
1: on that they only mentioned a few times, and then even though he's not that far away from the city and it is being nuked, he's still not, like, affected.
0: A war that was so (laughs) important that they nuked the city that wasn't bothered to be named in the book. Yeah. Whatever city USA.
1: And it's kind of implied that these people that have memorized books will now rebuild society. Yeah. Uh,
0: Also, when Montag gets there, he's just, like, nature and trees yeah. and hobos that smell and beans. He's just like the enamored. Cooking beans
1: and bacon. He's
0: just enamored with like all this real stuff because I guess nothing was real in his world. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I do want to mention though in the in the movie with the ominous thing. Yeah. They mention it as being DNA and books being in DNA. But then when he meets that group, I was really thinking like, Oh, is this really what Omnis is? Is yeah. the whole plan to just have people memorize books and carry it on in that way? Like, that's what it means. That's by, the like,
1: network of Omnis. Yeah. yeah.
0: And then, but then it's like, no, it's also in a bird. <laughs> 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 it's like, ah, oh, man. Uh, no. I almost liked that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So that kind of that sums up the stories. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting in how they diverge, mainly in Clarice, I think. Being a more important character in the movie.
0: Yeah. I kind of feel equally about both of them.
1: I do too.
0: Um, The movie, I definitely thought was more solid throughout.
1: Yeah, and it definitely had like a cool aesthetic. Mm -hmm. Like I thought... The dark city vibe and the lighting was cool.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: you really notice when he goes to that like farm rebel complex, like it's actually like nature and like you see the sun. It's like daylight when he's there.
0: You know, I just realized I think every scene of the movie Fahrenheit 451 is at nighttime. It is. Except when he's at the farm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Obviously, you were aware of that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I noticed it right away because I was like, oh, it's daylight now. What?
0: I mean, I knew it was primarily at night, but I'm like, I think all of it was at night.
1: Yeah, and so that kind of has a cool vibe and feeling to it, Mm -hmm. uh, for sure. Um, But there was a lot of plot holes in the movie. Like yeah. the whole omnus thing, I'm like, this is a weird storyline.
0: Yeah, and the visual of it being a bird and flying away and flying it was into a little f- too on the nose. Also, it wasn't clear, but like the bird flies into a flock of other birds, and I'm like, if that bird fucks other birds, <laughs> and then will those birds have the DNA? Yeah. In it? Is that the idea? Also, does
1: the bird know how to get to Canada? <laughs> <laughs> Did anyone give the bird
0: directions? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, did you see how nice it was when it, it clearly went to Canada? Yeah. I mean, I think that bird even knew what was up. He's like, I'm moving to Canada. This I'm getting out of here. Crazy.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then, like, all the characters were introduced to, like, right at the end. All the rebel people. I'm like, cool, we're getting to know them only for them to, like, completely either be killed or disappear. Yeah,
0: I did not like the way that last scene played out. And I'm... <sighs> I like that idea of them sacrificing themselves, but it felt like it was washed over so much. Yeah. Like a comparison that came to my mind was like Children of Men.
3: Yeah.
2: Which
0: is an ending that like lots of craziness, people sacrificing themselves. And but dying. Yeah. It is so impactful and emotional and is building towards something that's really big.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, and this movie was a similar setup, but just rushed. Mm-hmm. And the ending that it was leading towards was kind of cheesy and yeah. a little vague. Also, yeah.
1: Clarice's like storyline as being an informant is kind of brought up again a little bit later, but then it's completely dropped. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why? What, what did that mean for her character? And like, why was she an informant? Like, it didn't. It it was kind of important at the beginning because that's how Montag kind of meets her. But then after that, they just like don't talk about it anymore, and it's not part of her well, story
0: really. I kind of saw it as like. I think that she was a part of this group, because when they return, Clarice, or I'm sorry, uh, the woman who's the leader kind of talks about Clarice like, you know, I know you killed that old woman uh, who was reading Grapes of Wrath, but you brought Clarice back to us, and you were reading White Teeth, weren't you, or something like that. Mm -hmm. So clearly she was a part of this group, and then I think-
1: Diverged diverged. and wanted to be normal. Yeah,
0: and became an informant for that reason. Yeah. And I think her returning at the end was kind of trying to complete her arc.
1: And I get that. And she does talk to Montag about how she wanted to be normal and all that stuff for a while, but we just don't see any resolution with her with that. No. Like she just kind of comes back and then Montag's like, what's all this stuff? And yeah, it's kind of dropped,
0: I guess. Yeah. It could have been better. But I guess when comparing it to the Clarice of the book, I'm very much like it's a lot better and I'm willing to accept that.
1: I mean, the book, though, Fahrenheit 451, had a really huge cultural impact. And I think Ray Bradbury apparently does not agree that this book is about censorship. (laughs) 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 Apparently, there's like this infamous case where he went to a college to talk on it And the college students told him it was about censorship. And he said, no, it's not. And they said, yes, it is. And then they had an argument. Ray Bradbury said, fuck you, and left. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But he kind of says his book is more about, like, society and people not caring about literature or information and being lazy. Kind of like stuff we were talking about before. But I think it is a really cautionary tale about censorship and why it's important to preserve like all types of books and viewpoints and accept all of that and not try to burn stuff. Yeah. Don't <laughs> you burn know, things. Don't burn stuff. It's probably not good for the environment, especially if you're burning more than just books and you're doing like film, <laughs> v- VHS tapes, computer equipment, yeah, like that is not good for the air. You don't want
0: to breathe that in. Yeah. that's not good. Especially those blockbuster VHSs. Yeah. Um, My biggest beef with the book, and it's kind of the same way for a lot of dystopian books of this genre, and that is usually that, okay, it's creating this very, like, on the nose, like, uh, metaphor for like, this is the future, if we censor people, and it's bad, and don't do this. Because it's not good. Yeah. And also... And it just kind of keeps reinforcing... It's almost moralizing... The same point. ...at you. And just... Yeah. yeah, It just keeps, like, hammering home this same idea. But I really... For a sci-fi story or story like this to impact me, I need it to be... Like, raise more opposing questions. Yeah. So, like, talk about, hey, you know what? Maybe technology has done this, but also... Like in today's case, it's connected a lot of people across the world. Like Facebook and social media Mm -hmm. allow us to spread information, good and bad, more easily. And like people are able to access things. And like I need to kind of see a little bit of that other vantage point. Yeah. Because to just say that this is all bad and this is technology's bad and simplifying things is bad. Yeah, it's
1: just like it's dumbing down, you know what I mean? these perspectives on issues that are super gray. Mm-hmm. And I think dystopians just as a genre are kind of usually pretty heavy-handed. Yeah. Uh they're not very subtle in what they're trying to warn against, and I get that, but it can be sort of a tough genre uh to read, especially if you don't like when books preach at you, which I really don't like this, and I've read some other books that do this when I'm reading them and I'm like Listen, I agree with your point of view, but, like, you keep saying it over and over, so it makes me dislike it.
0: Yeah, and not to compare it again to this, because it's very different, but uh, Children of Men is Mm -hmm. another dystopian story where there's a villain, like, a clear enemy, but then the rebels of the story also end up being bad. Yeah. And it really isolates the heroes, Mm -hmm. like, we're the only ones... You know, I just like seeing that. Hey, it's a fucked up world. It's a fucked up world. Yeah. Everyone's kind of fucked up. There's some good things, some bad things. Um, yeah, so that's this. Stories like this don't naturally appeal to me because I just feel like they're like Fahrenheit 451 started as a uh, short, short story, story. Mm-hmm. and pardon me, feels like it you, should have stayed. It <laughs> should have stayed a short story. Like you probably could have got the same conclusions and ideas from the short story.
1: Yeah, and I mean the characters in the book are pretty thin and shallow i mean we talked about montag just sort of doing this switch uh Mm -hmm. after talking to clarice for a few nights um and you know his wife is less than a character and everyone else as well so you know what i'm just gonna go like slightly with the book just because of its like cultural relevance but i'm really conflicted on this decision, on yeah. which one is better.
0: I'm going to go movie. Okay. Let's disagree.
1: Okay, let's disagree.
0: Uh, because I just like, I feel like the book is very bloated with its narrative and its existential crisis. Yeah. And even though there's a lot of good bits in it, it kind of gets lost a little bit. And there are parts in the movie that I remembered from the book. But are just distilled better, yeah. You know what I mean? Just hearing it as a couple lines from Montag's character mm-hmm. in a moment that feels more emotional, I got more out of them. Yeah, like there's the one line about him talking about how he never thought about it before, but each book, like someone put their heart and soul into that, and it's like burning yeah. a person. Yeah, and I remember that line from the book, but in the movie, it just felt more impactful.
1: The way he said it. Yeah, yeah. just the
0: way he said it and the context in it not being in a sea of other points about the topic so
1: yeah yeah, it was a it's a tough one for me
0: Mm -hmm. oh me too like (laughs) books the movie's not perfect um
1: this is definitely one of those classic books that i think people need to reread uh because i think for some of these types of books we just accept that they're good And we're like, oh, this is a classic, like, so important. I love this book. And I'm like, have you read it recently, though? Like, go back and, like, look at it with a critical eye. Look at it as if you're reading it for the first time and there's no history to it. Is this a good piece of literature? Mm -hmm. Is it interesting? Does it make you excited? Um, You know, what are the – does it still hold up? You know what I mean? Yeah,
0: and I think all good mediums from film to books and everything – they, they build off of this, you know oh, what I yeah. mean? Like, these are the building blocks, uh, you know, like, of dystopian novels. Yeah. 1984, Brave New World, this. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot better books have been written since then. Yeah. And yeah, they're heavily influenced by Fahrenheit 451, and that deserves a lot of credit. Oh, yeah. For taking such big leaps uh, in the genre. But...
1: But maybe we should move on. Yeah,
0: maybe we should stop teaching kids this one book. Yeah. And teach them books that have uh more uh
1: diverse perspectives diver- Yeah, more, more diversity. Ray Bradbury would be so angry for he us for be, saying this. He would be so pissed. <laughs> He's like this is the point of my book.
0: <laughs> exactly. But yeah, uh teach books to have more diversity that maybe different viewpoints and yeah. like challenging.
1: What about dystopian books from like other countries? Like yeah. what are other people's cultures fears about? dystopian futures Mm -hmm. like how are they different I don't think I've ever read a dystopian book that was from a different country besides Aldous Huxley I think he was British but like
0: let's stop talking about really old books about a future that never happened yeah you know yeah not that they don't have good points but let's there's so many better things I think better books that could be taught in school yeah so
1: let's go back to these classics and look at them a little more critically is what I'm saying.
0: I totally agree. <laughs> Knowing that Ray Bradbury is very controversial. Would be really mad. <laughs> yeah, it would be really mad. I kind of enjoy that.
1: <laughs> Alright, we ready for lightning round?
0: Let's do it. Alright, uh, so first lightning round on my part. So I <laughs> I was reading that, uh, you know the title of the book Fahrenheit 451? Oh yeah. So apparently uh Uh, Ray Bradbury never researched that or looked into it at all. He apparently just asked someone, like a fireman, what temperature paper burns at. And he said 451. And he's like, I love it. That's the title of my book. I'll (laughs) never actually look into that at all. So uh, that's probably totally inaccurate.
1: Yeah. uh Yeah. According to what I saw, it kind of varies depending on the paper. So it's Mm -hmm. like, it varies from like 440 or 430 up to like 480 or something.
0: Yeah, I'm sure like the thickness and thinness and what it's made of. and
1: Yeah. It's like, yeah, it
0: depends (laughs) on a lot.
1: You're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Another really short lightning round thing. There's not a lot of fun facts about the movie. But the movie does say that the city that Montag lives in is Cleveland, and they talk about Ohio and Pennsylvania a lot, so that was kind of cool to hear them talk about a place that's so close to us. Uh, But yeah, Cleveland. I
0: feel like (laughs) Cleveland's been featured in a lot of stuff lately. Yeah. Like, that was in uh, Ready Player One.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of it
0: takes place in Cleveland and around Cleveland.
1: That's interesting.
0: Yeah, what the fuck? Why not Pittsburgh? (laughs) Pittsburgh. What's wrong with Pittsburgh? Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Um, this was a line that just cracked me up in the book because, you know, even though it's the future written from the 1950s, we still tend to think of it of as the future, like still yeah. the future. And this one line, uh, Millie wants a fourth TV screen wall for yeah. her room. And Montag's freaking out about it and yelling at her. And she's like, it's only $2,000. And he's like, $2,000? That's one third of my yearly salary. <laughs> like, you make $6,000 a year? Oh, my God. And you're
1: like, wait, wh- when am I? <laughs> I
0: know. I'm like, I suddenly don't know when I am in time.
1: Uh, so there's a lot of supplementary materials in some of these uh, books because of like 50th anniversary editions and all that stuff. So there's an afterword, then there's a coda in which he just rants. And yeah. then in my version, which is the uh, 50th anniversary edition, there's also an interview that they do. Uh, the the publisher does with Ray Bradbury. And during the interview, he kind of like rants about stuff some more. He takes up uh he gets really angry at teachers for not teaching kids how to read. Yeah, apparently, like they did in the good old days when he was a child. Uh, it's great; you should read it. If not. <laughs> uh, but there's a great part where he talks about how the the interviewer asks the questions about how like journalism and like the quality of journalism is sort of declining in this day and age. And Ray Bradbury's like, "No, it's not just that. It's like the style of everything. A perfect example of this is the movie Moulin Rouge." And it's, like, the epitome of everything that's wrong with the world and with culture. And I'm like, what? Why don't you like Moulin Rouge? Like, what's wrong with what that? What's
0: specifically about Moulin Rouge? Yeah,
1: like, what's... He talked about, it, like, being these really fast, like, quick second clips. Like, he says... um uh, it came out a few years ago and won a lot of awards. It has 4,560 half-second clips in it. The camera never stops and holds still, so it clicks off your thinking. You can't think when you have things bombarding you like that.
3: Ugh, and I'm, I'm like,
1: are you just mad because it was a musical and they sang Madonna and you didn't get it? Like, <laughs>
0: I'm convinced that Ray Bradbury just hadn't been to a movie in, like, 40 years. And then that
1: was, like, the only one he went to see. And it just,
0: like, overloaded his old man senses, and he's like, what is anything? (laughs) That's my theory behind it. That's probably true. Uh, thanks for listening to this episode. Yeah. We really enjoyed getting to talk about it because there is controversy. We love
1: controversy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> we should talk about more old books that we can get mad about. We should. And ask why they're being taught. Like, one if you liked this one, listen to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, yeah. Um, if you were mad at us for this one, maybe don't listen to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest because <laughs> we go even harder on that one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, thanks for listening. It was great. Uh, If you want to follow us on Twitter, we are at Cover2Credits. That's with the number Mm 2. Or you can email us at Cover2CreditsPod at gmail.com Send us suggestions for future episodes. Yep. Uh, Next episode will be based on a suggestion. Yep. And uh, let us know what you thought about Fahrenheit 451 or our thoughts on it. Uh, You can also find us on Facebook.
1: And and we're on Instagram now, too.
0: And on Instagram. yeah. Also, we're on Patreon.
1: Yep. We have stuff going on over there. We have a Bonus podcast for all our patrons that comes out every month. Uh, So that's fun. And uh, tune in in two weeks for our new cover to credits episode, which will be on A Wrinkle in Time.
0: Yes. So uh, the new version, movie version. New movie version. uh, Yeah. Not the made for TV TV one. stupid one. (laughs) That still kind of haunts my dreams. Yeah.
3: A little bit.
0: (laughs) All I remember is there's like a centaur, but instead of like the whole body of a person, it's just like the head of the person. Oh my God, maybe
1: we should watch it. On a horse, maybe
0: we should. Tune
1: in to find out if you watched it. (laughs) I'm really
0: interested now. Uh, Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. See
1: you next time. Bye.
0: Bye.